something really simple that I talk about today, but it's something that makes us strong. In fact, it's something that changes how we look at the world. Uh, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, and uh, it completely yeah, changes our perspective on things. It's uh, something that we love when we have it, but often it can be a little bit elusive, and sometimes we can't quite—we're um, not quite there with it. But it is something to be talked about, and uh, and it needs to be a focus of our life. And it's a simple thing: it's joy. All right, one of the fruits of the spirit: love, joy, peace, etc. Proverbs seventeen verse twenty-two says. A merry heart does good like a medicine. In fact, joy is even better than a medicine because it doesn't have any bad side effects. All right, think about that. Medicine, you've got to worry about your combination of medicines that you might be taking at any one time or another. You've got to make sure they work together and not against each other. But joy is something that can be added every time, any time, to any situation. I'm going to turn to Isaiah 55. There's a... um. There's a simple scripture here that we often read, uh, Isaiah 55 verse 12, and it says, You shall go out with joy, and the trees of the fields will clap their hands. So it's a picture of a pretty happy situation. Even the trees look happy. We're so happy, even the trees are looking happy. Um, and I wanted to, let, let's just have a little bit of a look at the context here. So Isaiah 53, you know what Isaiah 53 is? All right, it's the prophecy of Christ on the cross. It's um, it's probably not a joyful chapter, but it's because of the prophecies that we see reading about in uh, Isaiah 53 that we can have joy, as we'll talk a bit about more around it in, in a moment. So this is Christ on the cross. This is where it describes him as being despised and rejected of men and that he would be bearing the sins of many. That's Isaiah 53. It's a wonderful chapter, a wonderful chapter. Isaiah 54 then is um, a lovely statement of the of the grace, of the benefit, of the you know the glory that God had chosen for His nation Israel. He's, he's kind of it's a point that you know for one of the verses in there says that for a moment I have forsaken you. Uh, that was because of Israel's sin, but then he says with great mercies I will gather you. He goes on and says things like, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. So that's Isaiah 54. So Isaiah 53 is Christ on the cross. Isaiah 54 is, is God talking about how he's going to return the nation Israel to him and, and care for, care for her. And then Isaiah 55 goes on and starts talking about the gospel of Christ. It's an invitation for everyone to you know, participate in this abundant life. That's one of the expressions there. It opens with, Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters and drink. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Today is the day of salvation. It's, in fact, the first few verses are saying, why do you go and you know, eat things that you're just going to have to, you know, you're going to get hungry again? Instead, come for the things that are going to last forever. Eat of the things that are going to last forever. Drink of the things that's going to last forever. Seek the Lord while he be found. Um, today is the day of salvation. We know that, don't we? And it talks about my word shall accomplish what I, that which I please. Right? That's, a, that's a really powerful verse that's in the middle of Isaiah 55. 
you know, when he talks about how his word will go out and do what he wants it to do. And as a result of his gospel going out, we come to verse 12. For you shall go out with joy, you'll be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into singing before you, and the trees of the fields will clap their hands. This wonderful picture of joy, of, of exaltation, isn't it? Of happiness. Um, and then Isaiah chapter 56 actually goes on and explains how the gospel is going to all the Gentiles as well. So the joy isn't just limited to the Israelites, but it's through the Israelites that the whole world will, will hear the gospel and be able to respond to the gospel. So it's a wonderful subject that as we appropriate um, the, the grace of God in our lives, as we live our life in the Lord, that we become a vessel for his pleasure and we're going to get, come to be an instrument of his, for his joy as well. The joy of the Lord. What, um, what can you tell me about the joy of the Lord? It's your strength. It is. Let's go to Nehemiah 8. This particular verse actually comes from verse 10 in Nehemiah chapter 8. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And again, let me provide a bit of context here. So Nehemiah chapter 8 down to about verse 12. There's something very special that's happening here. Now all the people were gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So the context is that uh, some of the Jews had returned to Jerusalem. They'd rebuilt Jerusalem. They'd been, uh, they'd not been worshipping God as they had been told to and, uh, and the law had instructed them to do so. But they'd, they'd come to this point now and they said, we need to hear the word of God again. So they all came. Everyone that could understand, so even the kids that were old enough to understand the word of the Lord came as well. And they stood there and they got Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that, uh, um, which the Lord had commanded Israel. And uh, so he brought the law in verse 2, before the assembly of men and women, all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. It was October the 11th, I think I saw in one, um, in one commentary. And then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand in the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So they read distinctly from the book and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. So they didn't just read the, the, uh, the law straight out. There was some explanation of it. And the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, the teachers, the leaders were able to um, to talk some more, you know, with the uh, with the people there to give them the understanding. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, who was the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, "This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep." For the people wept when they heard the words of the law, so they were hearing the words of the law that they hadn't heard for a long time. And they were weeping. They were weeping at the beauty of the promises that God had made. I guess they were weeping at the sin that they'd, you know, separated in the ways that they'd separated, ignored God. And they were weeping at the joy that once again they were hearing the word of God faithfully preached. And don't we always want the word of God to do that to us, to have the same 
reaction in us. But they said to them, don't weep, this is a happy day. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, share what you've got, for this day is holy to our Lord. Don't sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy. Don't be grieved. And so they went, and they ate and drank and sent portions, and because they understood the words that were declared to them. They understood the words to declare them. So the context of this statement about the joy of the Lord is your strength was the reading of the word of God. It was the exposition of the word of God. It was the refreshing of the people in the word of God. It was the humble hearts of everyone hearing the word of God and recognising that it was the word of God and that God was talking to them. And as a result, there was this joy that that just welled up within them and gave them strength. And so the people became strong together because of this. They were inspired by the word and it it did result in a a period of peace and prosperity for them. Um, There's the wonderful chapter at the end of... I always get confused whether it's at the end of Nehemiah or Ezra, in fact, because they're talking about the same sort of time when the, the walls were rebuilt and the uh, the people reaffirmed and they came together similar to this time and there was the glory cloud that descended and was so strong and so powerful that the priests couldn't minister anymore. They just, um, uh, they, they fell down. They couldn't speak. The glory of the Lord was just so present and that's the way it should be in all of us, isn't it? Amen? All the time. Is it the way like that it is all the time for us? No, not quite. Well, not not for me sometimes, but anyway. Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12, is that uh, wonderful psalm that that, uh, David wrote where he says, Create in me a clean heart, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. David knew what was wrong at this point, and he said, um, I need my heart restored, my, my heart cleaned from you know, what I've let it do. And he, his prayer is, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. He is recognising where true joy comes from. And of course, the lie of this society is that, is that having nice things, having wealth, having security, that's what makes us complete and satisfies us. That's an absolute lie and, and you are in, I am infected by it, you are infected by it. We are infected and affected by it and so much that we don't even appreciate it. Okay? We just do not appreciate when we, I guess there's the thing, you know, you, you go somewhere where, um, uh, people aren't nearly as well off as we are here and, 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 and they're happy. There's a part of us that thinks, how on earth can you possibly be happy living in this sort of place, you know, dirt falls or whatever it might be? And this is one of Joy's or the secrets of real joy for us is that it's its foundation, true joy. It's it comes from the Lord. There is this lie that um, that, uh, that that acquiring things will make us content and will 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 fill that little gap in our lives that we had, and that contentment will then bring us joy. But that's totally the wrong way around. It's when we've got Christ 
and the joy of Christ in their life, that um, that's when we get true contentment, isn't it? But every you you watch the ads on telly. I I try not to watch the ads, but you watch almost any ad, and it is trying to address some issue that you think you you probably should have in your life. All right, it might be that your clothes aren't clean enough. It might be that your hair's not right enough, or it could be that you know your car's really not up to scratch anymore, or you know you're not putting the right petrol in it, or whatever it is. There is some gap and lack in your life that every ad is trying to fill for you. You need to spend some money to do it on what they're advertising at the time. Um, but as soon as you've done that, you'll be much better off. You watch almost any ad. I think it's that's exactly how they're, they're, they're treating us. And, you know, there's this fear of failure in there. There's this fear of being looked down on. There's this fear of being, not, you know, the, the wrong shape or whatever it be, being inadequate in some way. And that's what society is drumming into us. And, I mean, I like buying things. Um, I suppose there might be one or two other people that are like here. You know, what I like to do, I love to research things if I'm, you know, I want to buy something. Uh, I love to research and figure out what is the best one to get. Uh, I usually, I usually manage to uh, then um, check out uh, what the price is because I, I, you know, I hate to pay the full price for anything. Uh, have I got some friends here? <laughs> <laughs> So I want the best, but I'm not going to pay the right price. You know, some people, they just want the best. Um, you know, you can see around Sydney, there's some pretty fancy cars driving around, for example. Uh, some people aren't happy unless they get the cheapest. They're just wired that way. Uh, I've got a brother-in-law like that. You know, he's, he's, um, he, want, he likes nice things, but it's got to be the cheapest price or he's not happy. Um, so whatever your thing is, you know, whether, whether you want the best or, you know, the cheapest or the best value, whatever it might be. Um, there, there's, there's this lie that, that that will fill a gap in our lives. And of course, we know that it doesn't. As soon as we get our new phone, we're throwing it out the window because we can't figure out how to use it properly. That kind of thing. So where's our joy come from? Our joy's got to come from the good things that God's got for us. John chapter 16. Again, a little passage that I want to read just to give the context to a couple of comments that Christ makes. So he makes this comment in John 16, verse 24, Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. But let's give some context. So he's talking with his disciples, John 16, from about verse 16. He says to them, A little while and you won't see me. And a little while... For that, and you will see me again because I go to the Father. And some of his disciples got a bit confused by this and they said, what on earth is he trying to say to us? Uh, they said in verse 18, what is this that he says? A little while, we don't know what he's saying. Now Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him about it and so he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you won't see me and then again a little while and you will see me. Most assur- so he's talking of his death, okay? He's talking about how he's going to die and going to go away so that they won't see him anymore, but then he will re- return to them for a short time. Most assuredly, I say to you in verse 20, 20, that you will weep and lament. The world will rejoice. The world thinks they've got rid of, of a, uh, 
of, of a bad character, as someone who is inciting riots, who is inciting crowds, the world will rejoice that you will be sorry, but then your sorrow will be turned to joy. He uses his example from verse 21 of a woman when she's in labour and has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she's given birth to the child, she no longer remembers, no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. It's a remarkable time for any of us that have been part of it, hey? Therefore you know how sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy will no one take from you. In that day you will ask of me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. What he's saying here is, he's actually saying, let me paraphrase this, in that day you won't need to ask me for things anymore. You'll be able to ask the Father in my name who will give everything to you. He kind of reiterates that in verse 24. Until now you've asked nothing in my name, but ask, using my name, ask of God in my name, and you will receive that your joy may be full. I've told you these things. I'll read this um, this verse in um, uh, the next verse, verse 25 in the Amplified. I've told you these things in parables, in veiled language, in, in allegories. The hour is coming when I shall no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I shall tell you about the Father in plain words and openly, without reserve. So he's talking about the time when he comes to um, that, uh, I don't know, what was it, about 50 odd days or a bit less, when he, uh, he, he walked and talked with the disciples and he basically really unloaded. Every, before then, He'd been talking in, in parables and in symbols and, and these kinds of things and he had to explain the parables to the, uh, to the disciples. But when he talked to them in those last few days, who wouldn't have loved to have been there at that time and, uh, and been part of those conversations with Christ? I mean, I guess the disciples, um, who was it? It was, which one was it? It was John, I think, who says how you know, we were with Christ. We worked with, walked with Christ. We heard exactly the words that he spoke to us and this is why we're writing, you know, the Gospels and Revelation and, and, and the like. Um, so we, we get a little bit of, of what Christ told the disciples but, yeah, who would not have loved to be a part of those, those few days uh, when he was really downloading everything that he had to share with them. So verse 26, at that time you will ask and pray in my name. And I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. He's saying because it's going to be unnecessary. You're going to be able to speak directly to the Father. The Father himself tenderly loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came out from the Father. Christ is encouraging the disciples here that you know, up to them he's been teaching them, you know, often in parables, and to some extent, his teaching had all been theoretical. So this is part of the sort of two halves to this. So I've been talking about joy and how important it is that our joy, our confidence, our source of happiness comes from hearing the word of God, comes from the gospel of God. That's the, that's the, that, that's the, um, that's the real source of our happiness. It's not from, you know, a chocolate Easter egg on Sunday morning or whatever it might be. It is the source is the word of God, as it was for those those guys in Nehemiah there. But Christ is now saying, 
I've spent a lot of time teaching you. Uh, there were two instances in Matthew 10 and Luke 10 where he sent the disciples out for a bit of a practice trial, a bit of a practice run, um, but then they, they came back. So up to this point, it's been mostly lessons and hearing and learning for them, and now they've got to turn it into the doing. Now they've got to turn the, the theory into practice. I love the com- this comment that in theory there is no difference between theory and practice, but in practice there is. All right, need to think about that. All right, there's one thing to know the theory, to know the understanding, and then you think you know it, and then you go and practice it, and you find out well, actually, we do need to, we need to learn by experience, don't we? Uh, does anyone here know about Jared Hain? One or two? Um, that, that you know, he's been trying out for the American football. And they have very technical things, so they have their playbooks, okay, and they work out exactly what they're going to do. They have the theory, uh, and, and they laid it down. And so they apparently, um, I was reading on one, one point, he, um, they had this particular play, and, uh, and it was down to Jared, and he was going to be scoring a try at the end of this. Uh, and they got halfway through the play, and uh, Jared thought he saw another opening, and he went for that instead of following the play. Uh, and so he bombed it, and he didn't get his try. So there's theory in this practice. You've got to follow through and, and you've got to get the experience to understand when it is appropriate to follow what you're taught and, and sometimes when you've got to bend the rules. So having the fruits of the Spirit is great in theory. I think I talked about this last time. Um, you know, the fruits of the, all, all the gifts of the Spirit. Remember, uh, all 20 gifts of the Spirit. We remembered that, don't we? All right. There aren't nine gifts of the Spirit, there's 20 if you go and look at the other um, scriptures that talk about the gifts of the Spirit. So having these gifts of the Spirit amongst us is great in theory, but they're useless unless they're practised, unless they're exercised. And I love that scripture about uh, seeking to excel in the gifts. Seeking to excel, that means um, we're not going to start excellent often uh, in, in using the gifts, but we seek to excel. We exercise the gifts. We learn to use them and, and we learn to, to hear the, the word of God and his prompting to us in all of the gifts, all, all 20 of the gifts that, uh, that he's given to us. They need to be done. Faith is wonderful in theory, but it's a special word because it actually doesn't exist in theory, doesn't it? Faith doesn't exist unless we actually do it. Um, we can believe, but we've got to believe and, and that requires an action, and that requires repentance. It requires baptism. It requires us doing. And then God responds, obviously, and fills us with the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is easy in theory, but tested in practice. The saints overcame... This is one of the scriptures that came up at the last Christmas camp. The saints overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and being prepared to die for their faith. The saints overcame not by studying the scriptures and having a head knowledge of the scriptures, not by being able to recite chapter and verse, as, as wonderful as that is. The overcoming happens in the doing of the scripture. And that's hard for all of us to do. Amen? Do you agree? Maybe that's not something to say amen to. <laughs> but do you agree? It's hard in practice, isn't it? It can be hard in practice, but that's where it is. 
And the, the example of Peter getting out of the boat is such a wonderful example of, of the doing, of the, um, of the leaving the safety behind and saying, you've called me to do this, Jesus, so I'm going to do it. It's a wonderful example for us to be, to, um, to, to rely on. So what's God telling you to do? All right. What's your gift or gifts? What are you being told to do? And in doing those gifts, um, it is going to be a wonderful blessing. Um, yeah, the, the gifts of the Spirit are given to us. Think about this. Um, you know, it was, it was Elliot's birthday today. Um, he got given some gifts and he's going to use those gifts, hopefully, and, um, especially the best one that we gave him. He's going to enjoy those gifts. Those gifts were given to him for him. I mean, these gifts of the Spirit aren't given to us for us. All right? This is a really important point. The gifts of the Spirit aren't given to us for ourselves. They're given to us to benefit the church. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Um, the King James Version doesn't quite... Um, uh, was it, every person has a gift to, to profit with all. It really doesn't expand the, the, the real clarity or real, real meaning that every person is given a gift for the common good. Or if you make notes in your Bible, maybe just make that little asterisk there. It's for the common good. And you can see that as you read the rest of that chapter about, you know, how we all work together as a body and how the gifts are given to each of us. So, you know, so that the toe does what the toe's got to do and the, and the ear does, you know, ear doesn't hear for itself. It hears for the purpose, for the sake of the whole body. You know, an eye doesn't hear, eye see just so the eye is satisfied. The eye sees as, as for the whole body to be able to see, doesn't it? And as we, each of us, exercise different gifts in the spirit, um, then we are doing that for the benefit, for the common good. And that's something really special about the gifts of the spirit. They're not given to us for ourselves. They're given to us for the, uh, for the, uh, the value and the purpose of the church. <coughs> Excuse me. So what's God telling you to do? Make sure that you test test it against the Scripture so it's not your mind just making these things up, but it's consistent with Scripture and then be obedient to it. Um, I just pulled a couple of verses out of Isaiah 55. Come ye that thirsts, don't spend money on temporary relief. Verses 6 and 7, call upon him while he is near. Verses 10 and 11, my word shall not return to me void, but do what I purpose for it. God's word will work all these things. It will work healing, it will work salvation, peace and contentment. It will work joy in our hearts, true joy. And if we are full of joy, then there's nothing that can, you know, even when circumstances aren't great around us, that joy within us is going to change our perspective on whatever it is we're going through. Change our perspective. And we will realise that it's an opportunity for God to do whatever and we're not going to be bent by it. If, if, if we don't have joy, if we don't have the joy of the Lord in our hearts, then even happy things we're usually grumpy about because, you know, it's happening to someone else or whatever. Hebrews 4, just to finish with. I will enter his rest, or this is the song that comes out of Hebrews 4. I will enter his rest with joy in my heart. I will cease from my labour and follow him. The spirit is willing and I will go. To a place that he calls me, I will enter his rest. And the last scripture then is John 15, verses 11 and 12. 
These things have I spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. We talk often about love. We talk often about um, the spirit. We talk often about you know the end of this life is not this life, but we are are looking towards eternity and for a life forever with Christ. But here Jesus is saying that joy is a huge part of his gospel. He brought his gospel so that we could have joy, so that we could be happy people. That is not the message any other religion teaches. No other religion teaches grace. No other religion, almost every other religion that I'm really, you know, vaguely aware of, it's a matter of works. It's a matter of doing stuff to please God. God wants to give us grace and peace and joy and all those things. So these things have I spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. And this is my commandment then, that you love one another as I have loved you. And love is another doing word, like faith, like joy, doing. Amen. Joy of the Lord is our strength.